Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had arisen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she went she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and at the, another at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. Good morning. He is risen. Katie, Katie. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm Pastor Gary, and we're glad that you're with us this morning as we celebrate this great, great news of the resurrection of Jesus uh, grab your Bible if you didn't find your way yet to John chapter 20. We're going to spend some time in this story and discover uh, how Jesus captures us. And as you find your way in your Bible, let's take a moment and pray together. Jesus, thank you for the good, good news of your resurrection, that you're not dead, you're not distant, you're not indifferent, but you are today alive and involved, and concerned, and you are reaching out for us today. You're grasping us to capture all of us to draw closer and closer to you. Jesus, I know all of us from time to time doubt. I doubt. And um, I know my brothers and sisters. I know those, there are some here today that, that doubt the whole resurrection, that they just don't think it could ever happen. And Jesus, I, I doubt that sometimes, I confess to you. And I pray that, that today as we dig into the text of your word, that you would speak to us. You would show us the evidence 
that this is true, that you're alive. I pray you would not only show us the reasoning, but you would touch our hearts and touch our emotions that we might know and experience your captivating resurrection love for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Wall Street Journal had an interesting article um, uh, called The Challenge of Easter. And the article started off this way. It said, it, it said, when was the last time you felt stressed out by Easter? So much Easter shopping to do. So many Easter cards to write. So many Easter parties to attend. Not to mention the endless stream of Easter commercials, the nearly unavoidable tacky Easter-themed movies, and those really tacky Easter sweaters you're forced to wear. And don't forget the difficulties of setting up the annual Easter tree and the strings of Easter lights all around your house. Isn't that interesting? I think that that's worth wondering. Why has our culture so absorbed and really domesticated Christmas, but it's pretty much been hands-off on Easter, right? Uh, 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 what is it, that, what is it that, that, that it's caused our culture to, to not be able to tame, as if it were, Easter? And, and, and I think one of the reasons is, is that Christmas is really easy to digest. I mean, who does not love the story of an adorable baby being born, right? We've all been there, right? And, and many of us have had kids, and there's just something about little Chloe being born and, you know, your baby being born. It's just something. This is adorable. And, and then that baby, of course, he grows up to be such a nice person, right? He's just the nicest person. And, and then he's the guy that if you're going to have a party, you would always invite that baby when he grew up. You'd always invite him to your parties. Because he turns water into wine, right? I mean, he's the guy you want at your parties. So Christmas is like, wow, yeah, I want a piece of this. But Easter, our, our culture has kind of kept a distance from, from Easter. And, and when Fred and Kate Dominguez just read for us the story of, uh, 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 from John chapter 20 here, uh, one of the things that Mary Magdalene and that, that Peter, and Jane, uh, Peter and John experience is they have a confrontation. You see, at the birth, you can just kind of go away, ooh, that's the cutest little baby. Or if it's not very cute, just say, that's a baby, right? <laughs> but you can't do that with the resurrection, right? I mean, it's like it commands something. It, 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 it says you, you've got to respond to this because, like, everybody's born. Everybody's had a birth. Everybody here. Anybody? miss out on that stage. Might explain some things, right? But, but none of us have ever been dead. That's something that all of us have in common here today, right? We've never been dead, and none of us have never not only been dead, but then three days later, raised from the dead, right? So it's like outside of our categories. And, and so I think, when, I think when our culture Oh, it, it embraces Christmas, but I think it keeps its distance for some of these reasons and a, and a whole lot more. Because if this story is true, and, and I'm just going to leave it like that this morning, if, if this story is true, 
it demands something from you. You can't go away going, ooh, that was a really cute resurrection, right? You, you can't do that. If this story is true, it changes everything. It makes everything possible. It means that Jesus is not just a nice guy who turns water into wine, but he is the master of the universe and worthy of all of our worship and praise. He changes our lives and our emotions and our priorities and how we spend our money and how we spend our time, if it's true. And, and I want to say to you, if you're not a believer here today, welcome. We are so glad you're with us. And, and maybe you're an atheist today. Good, we're really glad to have you. Maybe you're not sure what you are. You're agnostic. Good, we're really glad you have it. Maybe you're, you're kind of on the cusp. And, and maybe you're a believer here today. I think this story of the resurrection, Jesus wants to recapture us. And so uh, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. If you're not a believer, welcome. I just want to make a promise to you. We're not going to do anything weird to you today. Because some of you got drugged to church. I know who you are, right? Right? And we're not going to have the ushers now. We're going to have you. Okay, stand up. Every unbeliever, stand up now. <laughs> or, or maybe we should have, if you brought an unbeliever, you stand up. <laughs> Boy, you're, some of you are really sweating it now, right? Is the guy next to me going to stand up? You know, Lucy, go ahead and stand up. It's okay. <laughs> no, not at all. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to give you a, have the ushers come and give you a cute little Easter, fuzzy Easter bunny for your shirt so we know who to attack after the worship service. We are not going to do any weird stuff like that. But what I'd ask you is, 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 is come along with us on this journey and look and see. And see if your heart and your mind are not captured by the resurrected Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to do. So here's, our, here's, the, here's the umbrella that we're looking at, is we're being captured by the risen Christ. That's the, our message title. That's what we're going to do. So ch chapter 20 of John. Um, so it's, it's a Sunday morning. Uh, this morning, we were down uh, at, the, at the marina, 100 of us or so, celebrating this morning down there. Before the sun came up, we were down there. We weren't sure if the sun had come up or not, actually, because it was pretty cloudy. But, but we go down there for our sunrise service. This is the first sunrise service about 2018 years or so ago. Um, so, and we find um, on that first morning at sunrise, just before sunrise, Mary Magdalene and, and probably the other, there's four Gospels. They're, they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're four tellings of the story. And um, in the other tellings of the story, there is Mary Magdalene plus a couple of other women. But John, in his gospel, for some reason, we'll see why maybe, uh, wants to focus in on Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene and these other women have gone back to the tomb. The last time they were at the tomb, and when we say tomb, it's not a grave in the ground. It's a grave in a hillside, easy way to say it. Uh, and so you duck down and you walk in, big stone in front of it. You duck in and walk in, and then the bodies would be laid on, like, like I would, we would call them today, on slabs, on cement. They're laid out flat. And um, so Mary Magdalene is going back to the tomb. She has not been there. It's Sunday morning. She hasn't been there since Friday night when she and the other women watched. They were in that garden. It was a, it was a private garden cemetery. Uh, as they watched as their dead 
Savior was buried, put into that grave, and the stone was rolled in his place. They haven't been back. And so they're going back now in, verses, in verse 1. She's, she's going back to the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The reason she was going was to take spices and, and um, smelly stuff and to stuff it in the, Jesus had been like, like a mummy, not exactly a mummy, but he'd been wrapped up in, claw, in linen cloths and his head had been covered by a cloth and she was going to then stuff the spices into uh, the strips around his dead and now decaying body, three days, right? So think, think deodorant, okay? That's what she's doing to try to try to stop the smell is an honorable thing, a beautiful thing for her to do. And so she comes there and when she gets there, suddenly she realizes that the stone has been rolled away, which is not regular. And then apparently she looked in because his body was not there. And so what does she do? She runs back to where the disciples are are meeting or living for a couple of days. She runs back to them. Uh, Verse Uh, Verse 3, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and just here's a footnote, we know by some other ways that the the disciple that Jesus loved, who's unnamed, it's John, he's the writer of this book, so she ran, she came running, this is an interesting chapter, by the way, this is the chapter of great Easter exercise, there's a lot of running in this chapter, and this would be wise for some of you after ham this afternoon to obey the scriptures, lace up your tennis shoes. If you can reach down that far after the pies and, and cheesecake and whatnot and go for a run. That's what, a lot of running in this chapter. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Where they have put them. This is this was so weird, and where wherever Peter and John were, probably some of the other disciples were there too. It was like freaky, like what? It's like chaotic, like like you know, someone tells you news that you weren't expecting, and you're like, whoa, let me, whoa, let me get my did you, did what did you just say? And 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 so as as they hear this message, now I want you to understand here. Nowhere in the gospel stories do we find anyone going to the tomb looking for a resurrected Jesus, right? In, 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 all of this, in none of the stories do people go expecting Jesus to be risen from the dead. They always go looking for a corpse. That's, that's what they're doing every single time. They're going to look for the dead body. You don't, you don't put spices in the wrappings of a, of a live person, right? You put it in the underarms, right? You, you, don't, you, don't, do, you don't put it in, in, in the, on the body of, of, a, of, of a live person. You put the spices on the body of a dead person. And they always, they always go looking for a dead person. And, and, and there's, there's some rationale. There's some rationale. And, and here's, what, here's what I want to say. Um, there's some really rational reasons to believe the gospel. And one of the reasons was, is most Jewish people in that day, not all, but most Jewish people believed in resurrection. But they believed in a resurrection 
not this week, but way out into the future, when the Messiah comes back, that on that day there will be one big general resurrection. But no Jews in that day, that's what some Jews, some Jews never believed in no resurrection, but most Jews believed that, that at the end of time there would be a resurrection. But no Jews that we're aware of believed there would be a resurrection this week or next week or in the near future. And so as they went to the tomb, all of their teaching from the establishment had said, no, resurrection is going to occur, but it's going to occur out there, not here. So they, and the reason that this is important for us to notice in the text is all of the time that Jesus, all the time the disciples go, they never go looking for a living body. Because, and here's the reason it's important, is sometimes when people doubt the resurrection, like I doubt it sometimes, sometimes when people doubt the resurrection, they go, well, you know, People who lived way back then were really simple and really naive, right? They were kind of foolish. People who lived back in 1953, for instance, you know, they just weren't as smart as we are today, right? People who lived back in, 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 in the first century, like they weren't as smart, and they were very susceptible to imagination. And so what really happened, those of us who doubt, wonder, and think is, they wanted to see a risen Jesus, and therefore, that's what they saw. Self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's what they wanted to see, and that's why they saw it. it, it, was, it, it their mind was playing tricks on them. And this mass hysteria, and these 500 people, it's what they wanted to see, and so it's what they But that's exactly anti all of the reasoning of the passage. Because never do we find anyone. You see the evidence? Never do we find anyone going to the tomb expecting to discover a living Jesus. You know what? I think it happened. I think it happened. Because they never expected it to happen, and it did happen. And so here's what I want. Here's, I'm going to have two points for you today. You say, Gary, what happened to three points? I don't know what happened to three points. I got two points. But it'll take just as long, so it doesn't matter. You're going to get your money's worth. Don't worry about that, right? So here's, I want to say two things. Is the risen Jesus captures us by our minds. And some of you are here today, you are so analytical. Praise God. You're, you, you've got a pocket protector in right now in your pocket and a slide rule, right? You're analytical. You're, you're cognitive. You're, uh, you know, everything, you're, you're an engineer, and that's, that's absolutely wonderful. Some of that, that's the way that you look at, at life, right? You go to Disneyland, and you get on a ride, and you're trying to figure out the physics of the ride. You know, I'm like, whoa, this is cool, you know, woohoo! And you're going, well, the reason that's so cool is because of the wheel, you know, it's like, oh, stop it, stop it. Well, I have an engineer son, so I know what that is like. So, so uh, the risen Jesus, he captures the minds of people like, and, and, and simpler minds like mine as well. So this, this corpse is missing, right? And so what do Peter and, and the other disciples do? Verse 3, the, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb when they heard that the body was missing from Mary Magdalene. Both were running. I told you, lace them up. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, that's an interesting detail. Of course, John's writing it. 
I mean, what is he going to write? Like, I came in second, you know, you know? Uh, Leo, our seven-year-old grandson, uh, I have yet to beat him in a race. Yeah, and he's so happy about that. I just can't beat him in a running race. And, 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 and that's maybe what happened here. And maybe Peter let John beat him. I think that's probably really what happened. And so, so he runs, he, 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 he gets there first, and he, verse 5, that's John, bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go into the tomb. And, and that'd be perfectly possible. Uh, when we go to Israel, we go to a tomb very similar to Jesus. And you can look in. And see the slab without going into the tomb. And that's probably what he did. And, but what he noticed was weird. What he noticed was the strips, the mummy-like strips, that were, they were laid out on that, on that um, uh, con, like con, it wasn't concrete, of course, but that, that stone slab there. And the text gives us the idea, gives us the picture that it was like, the, um, I was at the zoo a couple weeks ago and one of the snakes had shed his skin. And it looked like two snakes in there, right? It, that's what the, that's like a cocoon, that the wrappings were still there. Looked like a sleeping bag, in a way, that someone had been in and then just came out of. Just came out of. And so as John looks in there, he says, now that is weird. That is, that, that's really, really strange. Um, and, and so then verse uh, verse 5, he bent over and he, he looked in, but he didn't go in. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, Simon Peter, like there is no stop sign in the world for Simon Peter, is there? Red light, go. Yellow light, go. Green light, stop. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, right? They've been racing. And he went straight into the tomb, right? No stop sign. And he saw, and if you have your own Bible or the Bible that's in the rack, it doesn't matter. Underline that word or circle that word saw. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Now, what in the world is all of that about. Now, that word in verse 6, that word for saw, is not the word that I would use if I was saying, hey, I saw you at Costco yesterday. Or, um, hey, I saw you driving down H Street yesterday. Why were you taking up all three lanes? That, that's not the word. That, that word means to glance and to just to simple see. The word that's used in verse 6, and then another word that's similar to it in verse 8, these are words that have the idea of looking intently at something. Intently in the sense that your mind starts spinning and you begin to, one of the words, we get our word theorize from, theorize, to, to ponder and to con contemplate and it's a, very, it's a very rational word. So it wasn't that they just looked in and said, huh, look. It was that they went, huh. Now, how could, how could that be? And they're thinking, like if some bad guys, uh, they could have been bad Jewish guys, or they could have been bad Roman guys, they could have been just bad, bad guys. 
if some of those guys would have come and stolen the body of Jesus, like, they wouldn't have unwrapped him, would they? And then kind of wrapped it back up and then put the, put the, uh, the cloth over his head right where the head had been. I, I love how Jared last Sunday, he talked about the raising of Lazarus, remember? And so Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And I loved how Jared, maybe I'd have Jared do it again here. Kind of, he's all wrapped up. Somebody unwrapped the guy, right? Because you can't unwrap yourself, right? So they, they unwrapped him. Well, imagine if they unwrapped Lazarus. Do you think that they neatly folded up the cloths and made it look like he was still in it? You, you, see, you see, something, John and Peter, as they look into the tomb, they go, something has happened here. The body hasn't been stolen. It's as if, and it is if, and it is true, that the body went right through the wrappings, I think. And just left those, those grave clothes because they weren't needed anymore because he wasn't dead. And they were left there like a cocoon. And the butterfly, the, the butterfly, Jesus, has flown away in victory. He's lifted out of those. Out of those. And, and, that, and that, that word, see, that, that word in verse 6, it talks about using your brain. You see, you, you can almost hear their brains working. What's happened here? And then if you go to verse, uh, verse, eight, uh, verse 7, um, oh, verse 8, finally, the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And here's, the, here's a very similar word, an unusual word for saw. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. You see, you don't have to check your brain to become a follower of Jesus, right? Because it makes sense. And there's evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And it, John and Peter never expected to discover a risen Jesus and they go, but the evidence compelled them, and Jesus is capturing them by their minds, by their rationalness, by their, by their, their thinking. And there is all kinds of really good evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We won't look at all of it today, but you can go and dig and find more and more evidence. And, and right in the story, I think, there's some, I think there's some really interesting evidence right here in this story. Uh, for instance, um, if if someone were making up a story they wanted you to believe, they would make the story as believable as possible, right? Now, I have two grandsons, uh, Leo and Nelson, seven and two. And whenever, whenever we, I get in the car with them and I'm driving and they're in the back, oftentimes the first thing they say is, Grandpa, tell us a story. And I'm like, I am out of stories. Let me tell you, this has been going on a long time. And uh, Grandpa, tell us a story. And I say, so I always say, okay, you start. <laughs> tell me, what's the story going to be about? So on Friday, uh, Leo said, a thousand, my dad will tell you this is true, because he's got to help me with the story sometimes. I run out of stuff. And, and he says, um, uh, he said, it's about a thousand wheel Tesla monster truck. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so I start. Well, there was this thousand, he got me a good start, right? A thousand wheel Tesla monster truck and they were driving down. Oh, no, 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 grandpa. Stop, stop. Once upon a time. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was this thousand wheel. And I just need to tell you, you're in these stories sometimes. Some of you, 
Harla, you're in these stories a lot of times. When I need a smart guy, you're in these stories. Eric, when we need an example, you're in the stories. Leo and Nelson are always in the story. And, and, and Grandma always is like the hero of the stories. But at first, they don't recognize her. She's disguised in some way. And when she takes her mask off, you ought to see. I'm, my car's weaving all over the road because I'm looking in the rearview. But they are just like delighted. Ah, ah, it was Grandma the whole time, you know. Now, they'll say to me every once in a while, are you teasing? <laughs> no, no, not me. I wouldn't tease. Oh, you're teasing, Grandpa. Oh, no, no, no. Now, when we make up those stories about a thousand-wheel Tesla monster, do I expect anyone to believe that? When, if, if I got up here to, today and said, today I'm going to tell you about a thousand-wheel Tesla monster truck. Now, all of you are going to go, well, this is going to be interesting, right? <laughs> but I sunk it, my credibility right from the start about being a true story. It might be entertaining, right? But it wouldn't, you, wouldn't be, you wouldn't go home believing that. So let's say you're making up a story, a story that's not true, and you know it's not true, about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. Are you going to start off with, there was a thousand-wheel monster truck, a Tesla monster truck? No, you're going to make the story as credible as possible, right? You're going to make it, if you want people to really believe it, you're going to make it as credible as possible. Well, there are some things in these stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are, sink the story from the beginning, that just go, who would, don't, you know, you, you could see a couple of jokers sitting down, they know it's not true, but we've got to make people believe it. A guy says, let's put that in the story. Nobody's going to believe that unless it happened. Like, for instance, why are we told about a running race? Why is that detail put in here, right? What about these two guys racing on foot, and which one came in first, and which one came in second? If you're making up a story, people are going to go, that's a stupid story. Why do you add that to it? Unless it actually happened that way. And if it actually happened that way, that's what you're going to write, right? See, I think that's evidence for the truthfulness that this is not a silly, made-up story about a thousand-wheel Tesla monster truck. That it really happened. And that's why they put it in. Or, or, or and, and hold your judgment against me for a moment on this one. If you're writing a story in century one, that you want people to believe? Eric, don't put women in this story. Century one, misogyny, misogyny is big time. Women's testimony is not allowed in court. They're not credible witnesses. They have little status. So if you're going to make up a story that you want people to believe, don't put women as the central characters in this story, Right? And who's the first person we confront in this story? Early, verse 1, on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. You, you, know, you know, ladies, before one man ever sees the risen Jesus, women saw him first. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God chose it that way. That was his plan. Before one man announced that Jesus was risen, women announced it. Isn't that awesome? 
So if you're making up a story that you want people to believe, don't put a thousand-wheel Tesla monster truck in it. And that's what the women were. And particularly this woman, Mary Magdalene. Don't put her in there. Put in a woman that, if you have to put a woman in, put in a woman that has a triple PhD. And this, this is a woman in Luke 7 that Jesus drives seven demons out of. She's a certified crazy woman. If you're making up a story that you want people to believe, unless it really happened this way, you see the evidence? You see the evidence just piles up and piles up that in fact, this is exactly how it happened. Celsus was a, uh, a Roman, uh, in the second century, a Roman philosopher. He hated Christianity and, and um, he wrote against Christianity and he wrote against this particular passage and he said, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical woman? Unless, in fact, this is exactly what happened. And, and there's a whole lot more evidence in the Scriptures that, that Jesus wants to capture your mind with. Over 300 prophecies in the, in the Old Testament, the first part of our Bible, that are fulfilled in Jesus. Over 300. And some of you go, yeah, yeah, well, he set those up. He read them and he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, like the town he would be born in. 700 years before he was born in that town, it's, a, it's, it's prophesied, and that's the town he's born in, or that he would be hung between two thieves, or that he would be buried in the borrowed tomb of a rich man, or his clothes would be divided and gambled over. Man, there is just so much evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And, and, and I, I just encourage you, I encourage you, study, read. This evidence will hold up. We have nothing to be afraid of for, for people to study deeply. Did, the, did Jesus really raise from the dead? And here's, here's a couple of great books. They're classics. They've been mostly rewritten. They are great books. They're, they're in your bulletin as well. I just would encourage you to, to take time. And, and these are books for people that are atheists, for people who are agnostic, for people who are on the, on the cusp. These are great books for believers because we all doubt. We all have doubts at times. Life is difficult, or there's darkness, or things we don't understand. But if the resurrection of Jesus really happened, it changes everything, and he can capture us by our minds. So like Peter and John, look and study and think and see. And I love it there in verse 8, he saw he reasoned and he believed. So here's our second point. The risen Jesus captures us by our hearts. So not only does he capture us by our minds, by our reasoning, but he captures us by our emotions and by our, our hearts. So Mary Magdalene, she came in third in the race, by the way, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Here's the emotion, right? She, she has been double punched in the stomach they had executed her Savior, and now they had stolen his body. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know where it had been taken. And she's, she, as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb. And what did she see? She saw a couple of angels in the tomb. And, and they couldn't, this is curious, they couldn't understand why she was crying. 
And they ask her, why are you crying? And they've taken my Lord. I don't know where he is. They could... Remember, angels are not omnipresent or omniscient, right? They, they are not. They are not God. They don't know everything. I don't think they know a whole lot more than we do, really. I mean, they're special. I like them. <laughs> don't, don't, anybody get a, don't anybody get a bad idea on this, you know. <laughs> but they're not God, and they shouldn't be worshipped or venerated or anything like that. They're just his servants. Praise God. But, see... They don't know why these women would be crying. Jesus is alive. They know it, right? They know that. But they don't know that she doesn't know that yet. So she's, she's crying there. And so she turns around, and she turns around in verse um, 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. It, that's curious, isn't it? Uh, this morning at our Galilean breakfast, same thing happened. There, but Jesus was 100 yards away. He was on shore. It seems to me now that Jesus is, is right here. And he, I don't know if he didn't have a name tag on or what, but he just wasn't, she didn't recognize him in her brokenness and her grieving. And, and that happens to us sometimes. We don't recognize when Jesus is close in our hurt, and our pain, and our sorrow, that he's right there with us. We don't recognize him either. And, and he knew the answer to the, the next question. He said, woman, why are you crying? And who is it you're looking for? He, he knew both of those answers, right? He, he knew those answers. And thinking, verse 15, he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. I think that's interesting. Mary is not looking for Jesus, the risen Jesus, the alive Jesus. But he's looking for her. And that's, that's the good news. None of you are looking for Jesus this morning unless he first came looking for you. That's the way it always, that's the good news. Because left to our own, none of us would go looking for Jesus. It's only as he changes us and begins to prompt us. But Mary is not looking for the risen Jesus, but he's looking for her. Jesus is always the one looking. Whether you're, whether you're not a believer today, it's Jesus looking for you. And if you're a believer today, every day Jesus is looking for you again to bring you back in, in, in your brokenness and in your messiness, in Mary's brokenness and her messiness. He is always looking for us. He's always drawing us back to himself. That's what Jesus does. That's what the, the gospel is all about. And you see, you see, it's it's as if it's as if it's as if Mary has lost herself. When she lost Jesus, she lost herself. She didn't know who she was. She didn't know what her identity was. She didn't know what her significance was. But Jesus is looking for her, and he's about to capture her heart. And so in verse 16, I just love this. 
in the midst of her emotions and her brokenness and her heart, Jesus, verse 16, said to her the most beautiful name she could hear at that moment. The most beautiful name she could hear at that moment. Mary. Yeah, yeah. Sue. Dawn. Kim. Adriana. He he spoke her name. He doesn't say, it's me. (laughs) Right? He doesn't say, haven't you been listening? Where have you been the last three? You didn't, you're going to get an F on your paper. You, you, you think I'm still dead? Hey, what does he say? He, he captures her heart, doesn't he? Mary. Mary. He knows everything about her. He knows all of her doubts. He knows all of her history. He knows how she was maybe, if she was abused, if she abused He knows all about her sin, about her broke. He knows all about the crazy life, the craziness of the demon possession. He knows all of that. But he just, he comes right up to Mary. He comes right up into her face, I think. And he just calls her by her name. And she discovers who she really is, right? She discovers. You see, the only time you're going to discover who you really are is when Jesus calls your name. That, that, that's the only, only way you'll ever find out who you really are and how forgiven you are by the cross and how loved you are and how accepted you are by God is when the crucified and resurrected Jesus looks into your eyes and he calls you by name. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer said, that it is always Jesus grasping us, never us grasping Jesus. You see, he's always initiating. He's always reaching out first. He's always rescuing. He's always captivating. He's always capturing us first. And and, and he does it at at our salvation, but he keeps doing it every day of our lives. He calls our names and he draws us back. And you know, I I think that sometimes we think that we're going to get our identity some other way. Jesus plus. Oh, of course, our identity is in Jesus, but Jesus plus. And, and sometimes we, 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 um, we, we listen to, we say, oh, I'm going to listen to my inner self. I'm going to be, what do we say? I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to live the best life possible. And I'm going to really listen to myself and uh, just be true to myself. And you know what? You're, you're never going to find who you are by listening to some inner voice. Imagine if a eight-year-old kid, your eight-year-old son or eight-year-old grandson or eight-year-old neighbor said to you, ah, oh, I've been listening to my inner voice. And I'm going to be a Lego expert for the rest of my life. You'd go, that is really cute. That's really cool. But you know what? By the time you're nine, you're probably going to want a scooter. You want to be a scooter. I just heard the inner voice. And I want to be a scooter expert. And by the time they're, they're 12, uh, I'm going to be a, I've, I've, Dad, I've heard my inner voice. And I want to be a, um, an iPhone expert. Would you buy me one? 
I'm almost 13. You know, Dad, would you? But you know, you're, you know what happens, don't you? It's because your inner voice changes, right? And by the time you're uh, 13, it's going to be different than when you were 8. And by the time you were 23, it's going to be a lot different than when you were 13, right? And when you're 33, it's going to be different. And when you're 44, and when you're 55, and when you're 66, and when you, it, it, your inner voice is going to change. Let me just tell you, your inner voice is not reliable, right? It's part of your broken nature. Not, not that you don't, get, you, you don't hear some good things, but you won't discover who you are by listening to your inner voice. And you won't discover who you are, who you are by your future husband or your future wife. I, that's when I'm going to discover who I really am. That's when I did. Or my, by, through my kids or through my grandkids or by how many likes I have on social media or how many followers I have. That you, that's not where you're going to find your significance and your identity or by how big your bank account is or, or how, what kind of car you drive or where you go on vacation. And, and those, are all, those are all cool things. But don't let those be the places where you think you're going to find your identity. You're going to find your identity in one place and one place only, in the risen Jesus who has, who has, who has, has come to you. He's come to you. And this morning in the resurrection, he's come to you. Not the person sitting next to you right now, but to you. Not the person behind you. But to you, non-believer, believer, he's come to you, and he knows everything about you. He knows stuff that you wish would never be put up on the screens. He knows your attitude when you drive. He knows your attitude sometimes with your family. He knows the thoughts that you've had that were impure, that were lustful. He knows what you've done. He knows about the things that you should have done that you didn't do. He knows all of that. And he says, hey, on Good Friday, when I went to the cross, I lovingly chose to bear all of that punishment that was due to you and to me, all of it, on myself, I became your substitute and your sins can be forgiven and you can be as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are removed. And then he died that death of his father's wrath and then three days later, he rose again from the dead and he comes back to us. And he comes right up to you today and right up to me today. And he calls you by name. He calls you by that sweet, the sweetest name you could hear. He calls you by name. He says, let me, let me, let me wrap my arms around you. Let me capture you in my risen Jesus loving arms. That's what he wants to do for you today. There's lots of good evidence that it's true. And there's lots of good emotion why we need this to discover who we really are in the risen Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that your resurrection is reasonable and it 
there is really good evidence that we need to grapple with and wrestle with. But that evidence all points to the same conclusion that this really happened and that the tomb was empty and that you had risen from the dead and it was to Mary that you looked into her weeping sorrowful eyes and called her by that sweet name, her sweet name, and rescued her and saved her and brought her into, and captivated her and captured her and grasped her. And that that same good news is for us today, for non-believers and for believers here today, that Jesus is risen and that he reaches, he comes to us today. The resurrected Jesus is resurrecting us. The resurrected Jesus is calling us home to give us his forgiveness and causing us to live no longer for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again. And now Jesus lives forever and we can join him. If you're here today and you've, um, you've, been, you, you've been a doubter, believing doubter or non-believing doubter, it doesn't matter. I just want to invite you to study the evidence. Think it through. Let your mind whirl on the evidence. See, because when you see, you will believe. And I want you to know that no matter how how far you feel away from the Lord today, how, how undeserving you feel, your, your sins, your, you're so aware of your shortcomings and of your, of your sins. You're so aware that uh, Jesus looks this morning, the risen Jesus looks this morning into your eyes. He calls you by name. And Jesus calls you by name. Let him captivate you. Let him grasp you. Let him hold you. Let him capture you in his love. The love of the risen, resurrected Jesus. We pray these things with great joy and great hope in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen.